It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.08 on a Saturday morning, 71 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape in any part of that property that you have, whether it be lawns, trees, shrubs, flowers, bugs, critters, unknown things. Hey, we like the mysteries. If you have a question about your landscape, you can give me a call this morning at 404 872 0750. Ashley Frasca rolled in a few minutes ago and she is there actively answering the phone to get people lined up this morning to have conversations. Scott Maxim will be choosing our music this morning, engineering the show, making sure we get out on the air. And that will be from now until 9 a.m. this morning. Again, 404 872 0750. It's just like talking on the phone. You know how to talk on the phone, right? Okay, give us a call and we'll answer your garden questions. One of the questions that I'm sure others have have perhaps noticed, but maybe haven't called in this morning to ask about, is what are all those leaves coming down from the trees right now? It's like it's fall. The yellow leaves are coming down off the trees in my landscape. And the one tree that I know will be the first to show that it's unhappy when it's dry, when you've got the heat of summer overbearing upon it, and that is the tulip poplar. You know the tulip poplar has a sort of mm, orangey-yellow flowers that fall out of the trees back during the spring? And the leaves themselves, in outline, look sort of like a tulip. So that's why it's called tulip poplar. They're big trees. You know, they can be easily 80 or 100 feet tall if they get mature in a landscape. And one of the things that's very well known about tulip poplar is the minute they are not happy, they start yellowing, aborting leaves, falling the leaves fall off the tree, and they just litter the ground underneath. And so I was walking, let's see, is this Thursday now? Yeah, Thursday. And I was walking down my neighborhood, and it was just raining leaves out of the tulip poplar that's on the corner right there. So I thought, whoa, somebody's going to notice this and ask it. I'll head them off this Saturday morning. The tulip poplar is completely normal behavior. doesn't mean the tree is sick or ill or going to die or anything else. It's just one of the earliest trees to show that it's stressed. Got dry. A couple of us had pretty good thunderstorms back during the week, but uh, it's still a little dry this summer, and the tulip poplar is showing how unhappy it is. The other tree that I noticed as I was driving along on Wednesday after I went down to see my mom is a line of ornamental cherry trees. They're on Highway 92 just outside of Fayetteville, and this line of about six or eight maybe ornamental cherry trees has had for the past couple of years a disease called cherry leaf spot. It's got a complicated scientific name, but we'll just call it cherry leaf spot, which causes ornamental flowering cherry trees to lose a lot of their leaves. And the ground underneath these cherries, same thing, was just covered, littered in yellow leaves. And so this is another thing that, man, to control it, you have to start back when the leaves come on the tree, back in, in March and early April, I guess, when the leaves are first on the tree. And you can spray the leaves with fungicide. They won't get the leaf spot. They won't fall off the tree in July or August, but certainly if you don't spray anything, the disease sort of gets worse every year. And so I'm just thinking what's going to happen to these flowering cherry trees. Will they be able to survive this? Will there come a year where the environmental conditions uh, don't allow the fungus to develop very much and they keep a full set of leaves on all the way through until frost? 
I don't know. We'll see. I observe trees all the time, little marker trees that I pass frequently that I can look at and tell, hmm, something's going on or something's not going on or thank goodness that tree is still alive. And that's the kind of thing that I do. My eye is looking for problems, things that people might call me about on a Saturday morning to say, what is going on in my landscape? What is going on here? Armadillas. I got an email at Armadillo this weekend, somebody, or this week, I should say, from somebody who had something plowing up their back lawn. That was the Armadillo, of course. So, in fact, two of those on the trip to Fayetteville this past week. So, Armadillos, of course, all over middle and north Georgia, up to Clark County, up to Athens and Rome and places like that. Armadillos are everywhere. If you have questions about how to control or how to manage or what to do with armadillos, again, you can give me a call, 404 872 0750. If you have bugs like the carpenter ants, oh man, I've got carpenter ants. They're right next to the fireplace in my living room, and I just guarantee I know what's going on, and that is that the uh, flashing around the chimney where it's coming through the roof there has probably failed, and so it's got a little wet spot, a little rotten spot of wood in there, which is exactly what a carpenter ant wants to make its little home, and so the carpenter ants more than likely have made a little home beside my fireplace and have now emerged into the house. I've caught bunches, like five or a dozen, I guess, in the last week or so. And um, I've got to get somebody, get a carpenter to go up there, look at the flashing around my fireplace, repair it, get it cleaned up and dried out so the carpenter ants can't live anymore. That's what I need to do in the future. It's not a uh, not something that I have to worry that the house is going to fall down around me or anything, but it is worrisome that the rot is there because Carpenter ants that don't eat live or don't eat uh, solid wood, they eat wood that's been rotted. That's what the sign of carpenter ants is. Well, let's go to the phones. We got who? We got, we got Gene. We coming up in a little bit from Bremen and our friend from Griffin, Georgia, Nicole. Hey, Nicole. Mr. Reed. Miss Nicole. Good morning. Good morning. More headache, isn't it? Every day. <laughs> Every day there's a new headache, Nicole. The more you get stuck, the more headache you have. <laughs> you feel like living under the bridge. Sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't have lawns underneath the bridge. They don't have bugs oh, no. and things that bother them. <laughs> What's going on with you, Nicole? Well, the things is three that. Uh, don't have no water showing is the uh, magnolia. Oh boy! Well, why do you right. say that? I don't think of magnolia being that sensitive. Why do you say that? Well, he loves his trees if you don't have, you know, even mine's under shade in the back and yeah. there's moisture around it. It's still losing a lot of leaf when it's dry. Yeah. The one that here's my marker trees for magnolias are on Oak Grove Road near my house. The Oak Grove Methodist Church has these huge green magnolias in front of the church there, but I haven't seen any leaf drop on them. Okay, well, maybe we'll it's only mine. <laughs> maybe yours is the one. <laughs> what else? Uh, I like to talk about a gallon of paint. Why a gallon of paint? Mr. Reeve. Why? That's the, uh, do you remember one time you told us that uh, you had a really good deal? Uh, the generator was free? Maybe. Go ahead. <laughs> I got a really good deal of a gallon of paint. Okay. $5. And I said, good. but you had to guess because it was lovely, you know. But I was, I was lucky I got good paint and yeah. it, it was for the outside. So uh, I was thinking a gallon of paint for a fence wood only took half a gallon. So you should have seen me all week just going around. What else can I paint? Because I don't want to lose anything. <laughs> you don't want to lose it. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Because the, uh, this is not good for the environment. Do you know what we do in Canada one weekend? 
everybody's bringing their gallon of paint, that whatever quart left over. Yeah, sure. They put it all at one place. People gather around to see which one. It's all free. Which one you can use the, word, <laughs> word, the other one. I mean, it's one way to recycle. and We I don't guess. lose anything because paint, Mr. Reeve, it's out of control. $40 <laughs> for a gallon of paint. <laughs> so you have a paint swap is what you're saying. Yes, people swap yes. around the paint that they have. I wish they could do that here because yeah. Which way are we going to dispose of Afghan in the paint? Well, it's hard. I mean, the real technical way to do it is actually pretty simple. If you take a paint can that's got some leftover paint inside, you open it up, pour it full of kitty litter, and it solidifies really, really fast and hard in there. Once it's solidified, they say just put it in the garbage and take it to the landfill. That is as safe as we can dispose of paint like that. Yeah, because, uh, you know me, I don't want to lose anything, so I think... <laughs> I paint everything I could I could find because it was white and it was all paint. But the the paintbrush, you know what I did? What? I cut it all the little bristles, put it in the compost. Are you sure you can compost paint bristles? Paintbrush bristles or something? Well, I cut it. There's a thousand of them, so they're so small that they're going to dissolve. <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> I guess if it were a pig bristle, you know, they have animal bristle brushes that some of the professional painters use. And if it came from an animal, I guess it would compost. Sure. I don't know how many pounds of paintbrush bristles you need in order to make an adequate compost for the lawn but or the garden. I guess you can do that, though, if you don't have synthetic brush brushes. But anyway, that was my best five dollar I ever spent. <laughs> what about yours? What you feel you rich. I, you know, this this particular week, I don't think I've gotten any particular bargains or anything. Although, anytime I divide a plant and make two out of one, that seems to me the biggest bargain in the whole wide world. I don't have to pay for this plant because it reproduced itself in my landscape, and I can just take this part and move it to another place. That's my bargain. And indeed, because I give a lot of stuff that. It's too many, and yeah. if you don't divide, like can sometimes 10 years before, you know, divide, oh boy, you got a lot of a lot, stuff. A lot, a lot of stuff, yeah. I, I really do like dividing things. Not, not, right now is not the greatest time to divide stuff. It's probably better to do it in the fall or maybe in the early spring, but you can at least right now look at them and say, okay, you just wait. Come October, you're going to be moved to a new little home from where you are right now. Yeah, August is the time to sit down because there's nothing to do anyway besides painting. <laughs> and uh, see what you're going to do in, in uh, not in sure. January or February. You have to do it in fall because if they don't get established the next year, there Yeah, I've got a uh, on my iPhone, there's a notes application there where you can make little notes to yourself, and I have a note, a full page of things that I need to do when it cools off. Every time I see something that needs to be uh, transplanted or watered or pruned or whatever I need, then I have it in my note. And so I remember if I look it up in October sometime and I'll... I'll have a job list that I'll have to do. Nicole, I'm looking at the clock. You know what? we got to get out of here. But it's great talking to you. Enjoy your day. We'll see you soon, Nicole. 404-872-0750. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a great weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Pretty typical August weather today. Expect a combination of clouds, sun all day long, afternoon highs in the low 90s. 
And no rain, sad to say. Overnight lows dropping in the upper 60s with light winds, clear skies. Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Our friend Gene Hot in Bremen, Georgia, joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Gene, good morning. Good morning. How can I help? Uh, I think it's a Japanese maple, one of these that's sort of low, but they spread way out. Mm -hmm. When can you trim the bottom limbs? And how much, or how do you do it? My rule of thumb is that during the time when the tree is growing, and it applies to Japanese maples as well as it does to any other landscape tree, I guess, but the rule of thumb is while it's growing, during the growing season, you can take off 25% of the total leaf surface, foliage surface on the plant without any problem. The tree doesn't notice it all that much, and so just taking 25% or less of the leaves off a tree is not going to hurt it to do it right now if you need to. Well, should we trim the bottom limbs that's growing way out in the yard next to the stem, I mean the trunk, or just the end? My, my honest opinion is most times it's better to do it back where the trunk, where it comes out of the trunk, because if you shorten it back to a spot where it gets shade from the upper limbs, upper leaves on the tree, then it's going to die anyway. It'll just die a slow, miserable death over the next couple of years because it doesn't get quite enough sunshine to make any sprouts itself. It'll hang on for, a, for several months, but then eventually will die. And so because it'll eventually die anyway, I think it's better to go all the way back to the trunk, cut it off there, and uh, that be your, your pruning for it. Thank you so much. You got it, Gene. Thanks so much for calling this morning. Thank you. 404 A little comment about pruning is I say 25% is about right for the growing season. But when you're pruning a tree that you really needs to take off some big limbs here and there and other places, the best time for doing more than 25% pruning is during the cold season, during the time when there are no leaves on the tree. So if Gene wants to wait until the wintertime, until sometime in December, January, February, and take off more than 25% because it's just way over on one side, or it's one of the tall Japanese maples that flaps her in the face when she's mowing the lawn, or various things like that, you could take off more than 25%, but just do it during a time when the tree is dormant because it will wake up in the spring when things warm up and March and April and look around and sort of assess what it has and won't really remember. There's not a whole lot of uh, delayed damage, I guess you say, or delayed effect for the pruning when it wakes up in the spring. Whereas right now, it has still lots and lots of hormones that are going round and round and round in the tree. And so for that reason, you don't want to disrupt them very much. And for that reason, 25% or less is how much you prune most any landscape tree that you have. Coming up in the next half hour, David from Tucker is going to talk about peony trees. Did you know there are tree peonies? David has a question about that. Dennis is in Athens, wants to know more about fall vegetable garden. Luann has chipmunks climbing her tomatoes. And William in Tucker says he needs to move some azaleas and dig out a holly. Do I have some better ways to do that? All that coming up in the next half hour. We'll be right back after news. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you. I'll meet you. Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 
6.35 on a Saturday morning, 70.0 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I am here to help you be more successful and more uh, have your garden be more enjoyable. And sometimes it's great to go to a garden where you don't have to do a thing to take care of it other than just to enjoy the surroundings there. And Ashley Frasca came in this morning all smiles because she went to the Atlanta Botanical Garden last night. Why'd you go to the ABG, Ashley? Ashley. Oh, she's not listening. She's talking to somebody else. We'll talk about that in just a little bit then when she gets off the phone. Let's go to the phones. we got David and Tucker. David, you're on News Talk WSB. Hey, Dave. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, first, uh, are there armadillos in Tucker? Yes, sir, there are armadillos in Tucker. I bet you haven't seen any, but I would be willing to bet any amount of money that the armadillos did not go straight to Athens where they took a little detour, and there are a few of them anyway around Tucker. Sure, I think so. I am not happy about that. <laughs> have they, if you have not seen their damage, it is one of the most uh, – destructive is not quite the right word. Let's just say that where they go, flowers don't grow because they tear up the ground. They dig things. They make holes in the ground. They really make a mess out of a landscape bed. Recreational digging. Yeah. They recreate yeah. and uh, <laughs> you see the remainders. Okay. They seem to enjoy most of the evening uh, digging in, in soft dirt. And the real – thing, David, that I see about armadillo management and control, I can tell you how to trap an armadillo and what to do and how to make the little drift fence and all that. But for a lot of people, the question then becomes, what do I do with it then? After I put it in the trap, what do I do? And legally, you're not supposed to take it off your property. You're not supposed to introduce the armadillo to some other population somewhere 5, 10, 15 miles away because they can carry diseases. And I'm not talking about uh, leprosy, which some few armadillos might be able to carry, but I'm talking about just regular, normal animal diseases, flus, and, and various germs that one population might have and another population might not. But if you move it from the first to the second, then everybody there gets sick. And you don't want to do that. So the discussion this past week on Facebook, I posted something about armadillos, and I said, what do you do once you trap them? And there was a heated discussion about whether the best way was to kill them by a bullet or to drown them or to gas them with the exhaust from a car. And uh, others saying, why do you want to kill the armadillo anyway? They're part of nature. Leave them alone. And others say, well, they're not native animals. They came up here from other places. They're not wanted. They do damage to our garden. So there's a big, you know, you've got to figure things out before you really go to the effort to trap one. I think the secret is to not have them ever show up in your yard. <laughs> if you can make a little fence no more than a couple of feet high, they can't. They're not the smartest animal in the world, David. They won't climb anything. They'll just go to somebody else's house and say, that guy over there has got a fence. I can't go in his yard. I'll go over the fellow well, You know why street. signs don't work? Why? Illiteracy is oh. widespread among armadillos. <laughs> Illiteracy is very widespread. <laughs> armadillos just don't read this no wanted, no armadillos wanted signs. That's exactly right. But David, exactly. if you see if you see one by the side of the road, you know, turned over possum on the half shell armadillo, call me up and let me know where it was in Tucker. Will do. Thanks Will for do. calling. Thanks for calling, David. All right. We'll see you, man. Six thirty nine on a Saturday morning. Lou Ann in Roswell, Georgia joins us. Hey Lou Ann, good morning. Good morning. How are you? You know, Luann, I'm great. And because I get to talk to you, I'm even better. So, oh, what's going I'm on? I'm so excited. Um, well, my husband and I planted um, tomatoes for the first time ever. I'm so excited. I've never grown anything. Oh, man, um, great. That's terrific. It's so exciting. But um, about um, 
we we started getting all the the red ones on the vine, and then um, noticed something was eating them. So mm. we started picking them as soon as we saw the first hint of red. Good. And now these little varmints, um, we <laughs> caught a chipmunk climbing them <laughs> using the vines like a canopy. <laughs> yes. And. <laughs> And they've they've just about cleared us out. Yeah. They're even they're nibbling on the little green ones now. And we've tried um, critter ritter. We've tried the granules, the spray. We even netted over Ooh. some of them just to yeah. do a test to see. They somehow managed to get under the net and just knocked the the tomatoes on the ground just to uh, like they're mocking us. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Donald Duck with Chip and Dale now. <laughs> <laughs> or the Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. <laughs> yes. Like we're being filmed somehow. So is there anything that we can do? Because, they, I mean, we have no, we've gotten no tomatoes in about the past three weeks. They've yeah, eaten at yeah, least yeah. four or five dozen. Back earlier during the summer, I have had the same problem as you in other okay. years and certainly predicted it would be the same this year. And so I started trapping the chipmunks and just, mm-hmm. I thought, frankly, that it was squirrels at first until I got the first four. Chipmunks in my traps around my tomato plants, mm-hmm. and then I also had four squirrels and two rats that I captured yeah. as well. And for them, the the question of what to do with them, I don't think is quite as you know, unbalanced no. as it is for armadillos. But okay. I did take mine to a couple of a couple of miles away. I let them go in a in a school um, a playground, and hopefully they'll find enough crackers and things like that to eat in the mm-hmm. playground. But uh, there are a lot of chipmunks that would just love to climb your tomato vines. And I don't think any repellents work. It's simply trap them and remove them, get them out of the neighborhood for a little while. Maybe we'll have a chance to get some more ripe tomatoes. Okay, we we thought that they were using the um, the in, the animal repellent. We're yeah. they're using it as a condiment. They may they're be. enjoying they it. They may be. They may be. But you know, you said something early, Luann, I think it was exactly what you ought to do is to harvest the tomatoes when they just start turning red, when they pink up mm-hmm. just a little bit, because at that point the tomato fruit cuts off all communications with the rest of the vine, and the ripening process mm-hmm. goes on whether you have it on the vine or off the vine. Uh-huh. It's going to taste about the same. And so taking those pink tomatoes off, put them in a warm place in the kitchen window or something yes. like that, they'll taste just the same as if they were vine ripened. And my daughter disagreed with me, and I said, oh, no, I think they're <laughs> just as lovely. Uh-huh, so. uh-huh. <laughs> all right, so we, the, the, all we can do is trap them and move them. That's, that's, my, that's what I do. I'm not saying everybody has to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Some people, frankly, get rat traps, and there's not much removal there. Their rat trap takes care of the problem. Oh, <laughs> So you could do that too, but uh, you know, and, and others may argue. Well, again, they're part of the mm-hmm. natural environment. You shouldn't be, right. shouldn't be uh, killing or harming or causing them to have low self-esteem or anything like that yeah. to make the exactly. chipmunks yeah. mad. But every all of us, all gardeners, have to think about what do you do with the pest? Do you kill it? Do you remove it? Do you try to repel it? Do you do this, that, and the other? And it's an individual decision. I'm going to say what's the right thing to do when it's bothering you. Sometimes uh-huh. the right thing to do is different in different situations. I was thinking a pellet trap. So. <laughs> a pellet trap? Would that involve a pellet gun? I think it might, Probably. yeah. I, I did hit it with one of the little green ones that it knocked off. I saw it out there, and I just hummed it across the yard and just mm-hmm. knocked him right out of the plant. So that made me feel a little bit vindicated. Seems like Ashley had something like that. A squirrel? Did you have a squirrel on your deck, Ashley? You saw it one time, right? But that involved a BB gun. It didn't end well. <laughs> I can go BB. I don't have a problem. <laughs> so uh, what did you do, Ash, uh, when you saw the squirrel on your deck and the BB gun? What happened? Oh, 
it, it just didn't end well for the squirrel. <laughs> I was trying to scare him away for the bird feeder and, and was traumatized and had to call my husband home from work. Uh-huh. We're not going to go any further with that conversation because Ashley says she doesn't want to say what happened to that squirrel when John came home from work, but it was... Let's say it was final. It was a final chapter in that squirrel's life. Exactly. R I P. Louis, it's great talking to you. Thanks for calling. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty. Ashley, you want to talk about what you what you did last night? What you do? We uh, attended a concert, Colby Calais, at the Atlanta Botanical Gardens, and it was great. What a great night for it too. Yeah. And so, how do they line things up? How does it work when you go there? To the ABG. Um, we came in the entrance off of the park, yeah. off of Piedmont Park, and, and the line was very quick. They kept it moving. You bring your lawn chairs, you know, your low Gotta resting low lawn one, chairs. Short one, yeah. Get right in, and at least you get to see a little bit of the garden on your trek in. Where mm-hmm. the uh, It's right where the conservatory building is. That's where they hold the concerts. And you just find a spot on the grass and set up your chair. And it was just a, a Awesome experience. I really enjoyed that. That's only my second time going to Atlanta Botanical Gardens, but uh-huh. for a concert and families were there. I mean, it's just a really good time for everybody. Is it like Chastain where people bring food in, can eat there? You can't bring food or, or outside drink, but they've got the beverage cart set up. You can even order a meal ahead of time online, right. Right. and then when you go up and you know it's ready for you to pick up. And there are more concerts coming at the Atlanta Botanical Garden, too, right? Yeah, the SunTrust Concert Series has been going on all summer long, and I think you and I were looking up. There may be three concerts left for the summer. Melissa Etheridge was, was one of the performers, yeah. so they, they get some big names. Yeah, John Hyatt, I think, is coming in there, too, so it'll be more for old folks like me who like John Hyatt. And Melissa Etheridge, of course, very, very talented woman performer, too. And the stage was just very simple, nothing big and, and grand. Colby Calais was just dressed real casual. I think mm. even the performers kind of feel the sense of, wow, I don't have to just <laughs> blow it all out like I would have to in an arena. It was just a much more intimate setting. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. Well, again, details, if you want to find details, go online to atlantabotanicalgarden.com or .org, which is it? I think .com. .com, and you can get the details about the tickets and come see it. I agree with Ashley. The Atlanta Botanical Garden is a beautiful place, and at night you get a totally different environment there. The lights are there, the big light show, Bruce Monroe. You see a little bit of that during the uh, music concert, but if you come on another night when they don't have music, you see all these amazing light presentations all over the garden. I stand corrected. It is .org. It is .org. AtlantaBotanicalGarden.org for details about the concerts in the garden. The Atlanta Botanical Garden, our friend Danny Flanders over there is doing a great job doing the PR forum. William and Tucker, if we can do this real quick, we can get you off and about your business today. Hey, William, good morning. Uh, Good morning, Walter. What can I do for you? I have a row of overgrown uh, Buford Holly. Yeah. And I want to replace it with uh, a row of Arbavita, okay, Emerald. Yeah. And I have I've taken the chainsaw to the to cut off the uh, holly. Okay. And I'd like to uh, to eliminate the stumps. The I will I will move the uh, Arbavita over about two feet. Yeah. So, can you uh, help me make sense of? Making this transition. Well, I can tell you there are a lot of gardeners listening right now who say, you cut that Burford Holly down, you're going to have sprouts for 10 years coming around it. And that is true. If you have a reasonably sized Burford Holly, the root sprouts, of course you can't cut them out because they're buried in the ground 5, 10, 15 feet away. They will continue to sprout for the next couple of three, five maybe years. So that's one of your jobs before you even think about moving things is what am I going to do about the sprouts, which is 
bottom line, just try to keep them under control, clip them at the ground level, spray a little Roundup on them, eventually they'll go away. But as far as moving them right now in the heat, do you have to do it now, William, or could you do it later uh, in the fall? No, no. I'm, I'm looking looking future. Okay, in the future, let's wait till late September, early October would be a fabulous time to move things around. The soil is still really warm. The air temperatures are cooling off. And so mid-September onward, I think, would be fine to move the shrubs around. And if you can take the hollies out, you've done that, or are going to do that pretty quickly, and then just dig a nice wide area, shovel it up real good, make the soil loose, and then take the arborvitaes, dig them up, trying to get as many roots as you possibly can, and remembering that even though you, even though it's cold outside in November and December and January, you still need to water them because arborvitae is an evergreen plant, and evergreen plants need water throughout the season, whether it's winter or summer. And you'll need to water them for the next oh, four or five months to make sure they don't dry out during the winter and then during the spring and summer. But the, ch- the job itself, I think, can be successful. It's just attending to the basics of making sure you have a nice place for the arborvitae to live in, controlling all those sprouts that come up from the holly bush. And in a couple of years, the arborvitae will be able to take care of itself. William, thanks so much for calling. It's 648. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves for the lawn and garden advice you need. Great music, Scott Maxim. That sounded fabulous. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Right now, Ackerman Securities has more typical August weather in store for you today. A combination of clouds and sun up in the low 90s this afternoon. Once again, no rain and overnight lows going to the upper 60s. Maybe a few light winds here and there. Kenneth is in Sharpsburg, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Kenneth, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you doing today? Good, fine, man. What can I do for you? Well, I've got a Leland cypress that's uh, been been planted for years, and uh, it's about 25 feet tall. Um, it uh, probably last year, or maybe even longer ago than that, I noticed that uh, a lower branch started turning brown on it. I uh, yeah. didn't do anything about it, but now I notice it's starting to spread. And I've noticed other trees in the neighborhood are starting to or have been doing the same thing. Yeah. And uh, wasn't sure if this is an insect or some kind of a a blight or something that the tree has. More than likely, it's a disease, a canker, probably specifically a canker disease. And the reason I say that is because dry weather is the bane of a Leland cypress's existence because it has real thin bark. And when dry weather comes along and stays above 90 degrees for ever how many days it has, the uh, the bark tends to split apart. And when it splits open, it allows any fungi just floating around somewhere to come in and infect it. And canker fungi just love the places to grow on the limbs of Leland cypress. So there are at least one, two, three. There are three different kinds of canker diseases, ceridium canker and cercospora canker, and then there's Botrysseria canker, those big words that I had to practice before I talked to you, Kenneth. But uh, the treatment for all three of them is nothing to do with spraying, nothing to do with putting a fungicide on the trees, but honestly, it's simply to cut them out, water the tree so that the bark doesn't split anymore, and generally speaking, the Leland will come back and will be fine. But pruning it is really all I recommend to do. Prune out the bad part, try to find where the canker is on the limb and get a little bit beyond that, and cut them out, and that's all you have to do. Okay. So will it spread from tree to tree or 
uh, I guess. Yeah, it can. It can. Yeah. If, if you don't do any control for it, then the little canker thing, the little nodules around the uh, limb of the tree, and when those nodules split, when it's real dry and the canker fungi goes around, then it could, sure, it can affect other trees nearby. Other Leland's anyway, not other pines or anything like that, but just Leland cypress get these three fungal diseases that cause um, individual sporadic dieback. There's one of them, I think it's ceridium canker, that starts at the bottom and seems to move up on the tree. And Botrysferia canker seems to be the tips of the limbs and move from tip inside. So you see a pattern like that. Pathologists think about that kind of stuff all the time. But again, since the answer is pretty bottom line, prune it out, that's all I say to do. Okay. All right. I uh, appreciate that. Keep them watered. And you heard me say keep that, too. Got to keep them watered as well. All right. All right. Great. All right. Appreciate it. Kenneth, have a great, great day. Great talking to you, my friend. Coming up for the next half hour, Janet in Toco Hills wants to know about her neighbor's brush. I assume that means weeds are coming into her yard. She wants to know what to do about that. Michael wants to know if it's too late to plant squash. Charles has hummingbird feeder that's getting yellow jackets all over it. What can he do to keep the bugs away from the hummingbird feeder? And Bob in Powder Springs says Bermuda sod is browning under a large tree. What causes that, and how can he fix that? Well, we'll have all that coming up in the next half hour. This is Lawn and Garden. Our phone number is 404-872-0750. We'll be back right after news.